Welcome to another amazing episode of Kazi's Audio Experience. This is the podcast where we're not only going to sharpen our technical skills, but we're going to learn to become profitable as filmmakers. This is the moment you guys have been waiting for. We are live, and this time we're going live with Lawrence Schur, the cinematographer of Joker, War Dogs, Hangover Trilogy, The Garden State, and the list just goes on and on. I mean, it's an understatement to say that the dude is legend, legend, and he's on. He's on time. Love you, brother. Let's get going. By the way, the handle is at Lawrence Sure DP, one word. Um, go give him all the follows. Hey, Lawrence. Hey. <laughs> Let's go. I've uh, been having a fucking nightmare with Spectrum for the last... <laughs> Can we just like take five minutes and talk about Spectrum and the fucking mafia that is the internet in this country? Let's talk about I'm gonna it. I'm going to sit down. Hold on. First of all, I... Uh, <laughs> I made the grand mistake of trying Frontier once and then had a four-hour breakup call with them in which uh, I've been there. I'll never do that again. And now for the last 72 hours, I can't even get on the internet uh, in my own home. I'm not joking. I'm stuck in one area code. It's like 92618. This is how I search for a home. Like I'm stuck in that area code because that's where you get fiber and the speeds that I just sent you, it's like, it's vital. I'm, I'm a colorist. I'm sending 40 gig, 80 gig files back and forth. I need something that gives me that juice. I've never thought that I would move to get better internet, but now I'm convinced I know why people do that. So we're going to be neighbors. I'm coming soon. over. I saw you sent me a speed test of your internet. I'm coming over. I'm going to do work. I'm just going to treat your house like a, a fucking internet uh cafe I'll it, bring it's coffee. happening i'm i'm putting a 77 inch here today and i'm gonna be watching joker in a couple of days so if you're coming over let's do this i tell you i've never been so jealous of the speed test in my life i literally had to it was like a double take it was like a nearly gig each way i'm like at a half a megabyte upload and uh, God knows what I am download. No, it it's changes like, everything. Like, I mean, I'm uploading 40 gig files in like seven minutes, six minutes, you know? So it's like... Uh, stop, stop. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, let's change the... I mean, listen, just because I literally was typing with Spectrum as as I'm like logging on to, to internet, to, you know, Instagram, right. I, I'm like still riled up. It's going to take me a minute to calm down. So, but let's get off of it because otherwise I'll bitch about it for all day. No, no, we're going to do it right after this. So I just want to jump into, let's start with a quick sort of like the origin story. You know, who are you? Yeah. How did you start? Like more than who are you? Everybody knows who you are, but like how, how to end up here? Like, how did I end up as a cinematographer? Yeah. How did I end up sort of like... I mean, I feel like even yeah. before, like, you know, I mean, I never wanted to be a colorist because I didn't know anything about color grading. Right. The only thing that I knew was if you want to do something in films, you want to be a director. And then when I started yeah. going to school, I learned, no, that's not what I want to do. I want to be a cinematographer. I want to be an editor. So I want to hear your story. I never even... By the way, I'm jealous of your color correction on yourself. It just could be your own skin tone. I'm in, in incredibly magenta and red, two things I don't like. Uh, <laughs> That's just the olive I need, skin. Can you help? Can you just help me for this uh, interview? Uh, all right, we'll work on it. Yep. Uh, that's just the Russian Jew in me. Uh, the... And and people think I'm Irish, which I should, I should fess up to being that, but I'm not. Uh, anyway, I... Never even thought about doing film until very late, very late in the game. I mean, I think, of course, I enjoyed movies, 
and I watched them as entertainment and were influenced by them and, and thought they were wonderful. I was, I really came at it. My dad was a doctor and, you know, retired doctor now. And doctors love hobbies, generally right. speaking. And so his hobby was photography, but nature photography. So we always had cameras around the house. And so I always witnessed his passion for photography. And I think that influenced me subconsciously because he gave me a camera. I took a trip with my high school. It was kind of cool. It was a great public high school in Teaneck, New Jersey. Really diverse, amazing place to grow up. Love, uh, love it there. And uh, we, for some reason, went to like France on a French like field trip, basically, on my French class. Uh, and it was wonderful. And he gave me his old Nikon F, which was like a 1968 body, like a, you know, and a 50 mil lens. And and I went with it to Europe and took pictures and had such a great time. And when I came back, I remember seeing his reaction to the pictures and being like, oh, these are really pretty good, which, of course, when you're young and right. it's your parents, you, you, you get such, such uh, you know, right. like a sense of, 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 you know, appreciation from feeling that from my dad, who I knew had a passion for photography. And then I kind of put that in a box and went back to sports and, and, and all the rest of this stuff, trying not to do my schoolwork and fuck off as much as I could. Yeah, exactly. And then when I went to college and I was like, I went to Wesleyan University, which is a, has a great film program, but I was actually an economics major. But I took a, like a survey class, just a regular survey class called the language of film. And it was a great class if you didn't want to, if you just wanted to fuck around in yeah. college because all you did was watch movies. But what was yeah. awesome about it was it turned me on to the art and the craftsmanship of making a movie. And I started seeing it as a, a, as a collection of like pieces. And from that point forward, I got really into it. And then I started taking a couple film classes that they let me into not being a major. And, uh, and then it was like off to the races. All I wanted to do was learn about film. I literally, I did graduate, but I barely graduated. Meaning the best, the worst part is as somebody who obviously is like expected to go to college and do all those things, right. I was probably going to be a doctor, but I sort of fell off of that. My twin brother's a doctor. My older brother works in finance, like all respectable jobs. Right. Maybe not the finance thing, but anyway, but the... But I was an economics major, and I literally walked graduation with Martin Scorsese there, who was getting an honorary degree. What? And had an empty diploma. An empty <laughs> diploma. It was just a piece of paper with nothing in it. What? Because I had to go back in the fall and take one more economics test. No. Because you had to have a B-minus average in your major. And I had a fucking C plus because of this one. Because I basically stopped studying economics and only <laughs> right. did my film stuff because I was like, forget this. This right. is exactly what I'm going to do for my life. Like, who needs economics? Wow. So I was like a tragic summer of caddying at this golf course near my house and just not even studying, but just waiting to go to the fall. And the minute I graduated and I got that, that, that test result and I knew I had a diploma, I literally got in my car the next day and drove across to Los Angeles and yes. started trying to hustle to yes. get a job as a camera assistant and then sort of just keep keep hustling to try to shoot whatever I could shoot. Wow. So, I mean, cinematography was one of the things that jumped out to you? like or that's... Yeah, because, because of my interest in photography, right? It was right, like right, a right. couple friends of mine who were film majors, and when I got into it in college, they were like, hey, you want to help 
with with our our like th- senior thesis films and so two different friends one was named scott wiper another guy was jordan i got fucking planes because i'm not even at home because of spectrum mothers <laughs> hold on we're gonna let this plane pass it's great it's a Just helicopter adding, it's a adding helicopter. to the ambiance Ugh, sucks. all right anyway uh Jordan Lipsansky, uh, both are in LA, you know, um, and uh, they asked me to help with their senior films, and and so that was like my first thing I ever shot were these two short films, and uh, one I, I had they back then you had these like Spectrum Luna Pro light meters, and they had yeah, these, yeah. these things called a high slide. So if you were shooting outside, they literally measured foot candles like a you know almost like a decibel meter and and i didn't know anything and so you had to have a high slide in which would like basically you know correspond to like daylight when you had full sun when you went inside you took the high slide out well i shot like an entire day of his maybe two days because you wouldn't even do the film until you were finished all with the high slide in inside so everything was two stops underexposed Never make that mistake twice. Man, yeah, live and learn. Yeah, so yeah, live and learn exactly. Uh, and then just yeah, moved out to LA and started working as a camera assistant in mostly commercials and music videos for a couple of years, as many years as it took for me to just keep trying to fire away at shooting stuff. So you know, do you have because you you seem pretty savvy with with tech and even like you know your. Cre- creating something like shot deck and everything just gives me a reason to think that you know you're not afraid of it so do you have like a this is my go-to camera package like that's what i want to use on a job do you have anything specific yeah or is it- Go ahead. i mean I, I was i'm not very tech savvy and and if you ask my wife i can't even get photoshopped i, I literally was trying to do this thing yesterday on photoshop and i was a disaster <laughs> I don't follow instructions or read instruction manuals very well, so I have to do everything visually and by doing it, which also just is is difficult. Um, and and so I'm not that tech savvy. So the long, it's like I'm not a lensy guy. I'm not like one of those guys. It actually intimidates me how many lens options there are in this world. Exactly. Uh, that for me, I was like a pan. I was like a Panavision Primo guy forever. Very simple. It was Great like choice. probably shot. 20 movies on just primos and primo zooms i never even sort of went out into the world and sort of discovered other lenses because i was really just a panavision person for a long time the alexa came out and that was really the first time i i went in i shot the the genesis a little bit when they when the strike happened and everything was shooting i shot a pilot or two on that uh but otherwise stayed away from digital until the alexa which i found to be pretty amazing and then with the Alexa, stayed with Panavision, and it wasn't until recently with the Aries 65 that I sort of went away from Panavision and then had to sort of like find a little bit more about some of the lenses that were out there. But I'm wildly intimidated by lenses. Sometimes I use ShotDeck to look for movies and go, oh, wait, all right, this movie was shot on the Sumalex. Let me look at the Sumalex. Because if that I had to it. sort of start from zero and right. look at every manufacturer... It stresses me out no. just thinking about it. You're, you're going to have to turn into one of those guys that have all these lenses and they're doing testing and pixel peeping and figure it out. So you're doing it the smart way. That's awesome. Um, so much of like, I mean, we're going to jump around. There's so many questions, but you know, this, the look DNA in Joker, I mean, I know like colorist has, you know, a lot to do with it too, but 
you know, the, the blooming effect you get on the highlights and that kind of thing. And to my limited knowledge, like I saw that you used some sort of vintage glass on that, uh, whether it was in a, you know, new lens, but in a housing, like a vintage housing or whatever it was like, do you want to talk a little bit about it? Like how that can shape, like you look at war dogs and then like how sharp and crisp that is compared to like, you look at something like Joker and has that, you know, we're back in the day, but then we know that it's new, you know? Yeah. I mean, the look, the Joker lens sort of, a lot of times it's a little bit reverse engineered too. Right. So we were going to shoot film until the 11th hour on Joker, right? It was going to be 35. We were testing, we were doing everything towards film and we only introduced the possibility of digital probably in the last week or two before we started shooting you know, maybe three weeks out, we started talking about it, but like we made the decision really close to shooting. Once we sort of said, okay, because I was a big fan of the Area 65 from, I'd done Godzilla on it with anamorphic C and E series lenses. So, but you're not quite using the full sensor. You're sort of chopping the center because it's a four, three within that two to one sensor, right? right. So you've got this 2.1 to one sensor or 2.2, I guess the full sensor is maybe. I should probably know these things. See, I told you I wasn't savvy. No, but it's in that range, right? Like the full, because it's basically like three Alexa sensors sort of meshed together to right. make that like really large format sensor. So the 4.3 obviously works within the center of it. Uh, we knew we were going to shoot 1.85. So the main thing is once we went digital and once we went large format, then you're sort of backing into options that will get coverage. So you're not like working in the whole palette of lenses. and. Right. Because we weren't going to split the show, some stuff is like, I split the show with Panavision on Godzilla. We had anamorphic lenses from Panavision. We had the Airy Alexis rented from Airy Rentals. Interesting. And they split the show. The truth is, you know, it was like a $50 million movie and every dollar counted. Right. And it was hard to split the job. Like, I would have probably considered Primo 70s on the Airy 65. But I knew that we were probably not going to split the job. Right. So now it's like, okay, in the airy world of PL mount lenses, what would do coverage and what would have some speed, right? Because right. I knew if we were going to shoot digital, let's exploit as much as possible the fact that these digital cameras, you can go 1600, you know, ASA and, and, and really get a little bit more, um, you know, of the low light sensitivity right. stuff. So I knew about the, the DNAs, and I knew that some DNAs were quite fantastic, like the 80 is a great lens, and it's fast, and it's fairly close focus. But some of their other lenses weren't close focus enough to me. So I then reached out to Airy Rentals um, and said to them, okay, let's do this. We know I want these lenses to feel vintage like they would have been shot in the 70s and 80s because I wanted that right. sense of ver verisimilitude so that it didn't look like a 70s movie, but you felt like it could have been made in the 70s. It wasn't like copying 70s, because the truth is, if you really compare it to 70s movies, it, it shares some of the DNA, right. but not really all of it. Less so than people think. Well, that's the first thing that jumped out to me when I watched it. Like, I was just so blown away, and I got home, and I picked up my phone, and I looked up Jill, and I just voice messaged her and just told her all these things. I'm like, something is happening here that... I know that, it, you know, because it's so different than Justice League or any of those movies where they are very 2020, 2019. Right. They're like, boom, like this is the new Zack Snyder stylized look, which is amazing. But this had this thing that it had that it, it 
plays around with it, but then it has something that just makes you feel like you're in that time frame, that time period, and it was very different. So that's why I wanted to ask, like, how much of it is, like, you know, these choices, like, whether it's lenses, and obviously so much is, like, costume design, set design, those things too, and then color. Um, but it's just really interesting to know that. Um, I want to talk about, do you have, like, is it is it important to you to use a show a lot? Are you using it on pretty much most of your movies or are you, what's the process? Truth be told, ever since I started shooting digital, I never even really got that into LUTs, right? My feeling was I was so used to the sort of um, pipeline path of film. And, and I was always like one of those people who was like, if we're going to shoot digital, please don't tell me all the things it can't do. Once it's able to do anything, right. then I'll start shooting digital, right? right. And so- Love it. It's like I remember testing Airy Raw when it first came out for the Dictator, and I and 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 we were shooting Alexa. That was like one of my first Alexa movies with like Airy Raw. I'd done one sequence of of Hangover Two on the Alexa, and then Hangover Three we did like the Vegas stuff at night and mm -hmm. about maybe twenty or thirty percent on the Alexa. But but Hangover Two, right after that was the Dictator. So that was like my first Alexa movie, and I tested like out in the desert, like all the things they said, this is where digital struggles. So that was always the issue. But the LUT thing was always very weird to me. And I was never one of those people who even understood the LUTs or was like, oh, I'm going to have all these LUTs right. for the show. And I have this amazing DIT that I worked with a bunch named Nick Kay, who did The Dictator and sort of figured out the pipeline of how we were going to do Airy Raw before anyone really even knew how to do a pipeline at all for it. That's sick. I remember just as a side note, so we ended up transcoding and making our own LTOs for, for a Dictator because there was no real sense. And the, the idea at that point was like, you could have these codecs. This is very techie, so forgive all the people that aren't that. But Get in there. So you're shooting, you're, you're like, it's a, it's a line item that never existed before then, right? So we've been shooting S by S on, on, on uh, digital, right? Which is very manageable, small files, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Everyone knows that. Shit, there's S by S material in Hangover 2. You know, it's like it ended up on big screens, you right. know, for a while. But the Airy Raw is like now this massive amount of data. Nobody knew how long this would take. And Nick was like basically had to sort of pay the way, pave a way of like a new pipeline to figure out how to manage all this data. And I remember at the time, Deluxe was like, okay, well, you'll get back these Codex cards that you can reuse and put in there 72 hours later or something. Well, then you start to like, deal with like well how much how many codex cards do we need to yeah, like yeah, manage right, right. a movie in which like sasha's running you know hours right. of footage a day it was hundreds of thousands of dollars and nobody was accounting for that even on an 80 million dollar movie right so it blew everyone's mind nobody had, so nick was like well we can basically scrape the cards back them up in three three redundancies including ltos and then we'll reuse the cards on the same day. Okay, that's fine. You would never do that necessarily. But Nick was like, let's do this because it's the only way we can afford to do this. So what's the worst thing you can imagine could happen is you erase a card before you've downloaded Ooh. it. Ooh. Day one of the dictator. Day Ooh. one of the dictator. We did it. Now, the amazing part is we recovered that data. Never happened again. It's like you want to make your – you want to make a mistake – for everything that could happen in a movie, right. you just don't want it to kill your career, right? Because right. every time you make a mistake, it becomes something that you'll never do again, right? right. Like, 
double exposing a mag right. when you're loading, like flashing, all the things that you like, you know, are the worst case scenario. You actually do want to make those mistakes when you do stuff. Right. The high slide thing, right? Yeah, exactly. So it's like, but you just don't want it to, to like, you know, send you packing, hopefully. Right. You know? It has to happen. Those things has to happen so then they don't happen again. Like if people That's exactly right. Right. Because otherwise you actually don't even know that's a possibility of exactly. happening. Right? You right. know, it's like and it's like I can think through literally every single mistake or every single problem I've ever had on a movie and point to what potentially that was, right? Exactly. Like some weird flashing on a 35 millimeter mag, and you're like, why is that happening? Oh, right. because old magazines sometimes would have a little bit of gap from usage in the back. So you would tape over the back of the mag. Well, you wouldn't do that unless you had that happen and you would wow. get back some weird fogging that you couldn't put your finger on. Like, so those kind of mistakes, but the short of it is so, and with Jill and Jill bringing it into to her, you know, into the, uh, the DI suite, we tested that thing. But the LUT thing I never truly really used in the way that most people use mm -hmm. them until Joker and it was only because of Joker, because because we were going to shoot film, and I went to Jill immediately, and I said, okay, here's the thing that we need to do. You know me, I don't use LUTs, so I'm not going to, like, create a bunch of LUTs. Right. I, I just like to just shoot the film and then, and then you know, basically capture it, put some sort of grade on it. Sometimes, literally, I probably worked five, six movies with just a Rec 709 plain Jane thing. Right. And then would sit there with Nick and go, all right, my standard ops thing, right. like I'll take the blacks down a little, I'll yeah. clean up the whites, like literally like four tweaks was my thing on every single shot, right? Mm -hmm. And Jill knows this because it's like cleaner whites, yeah, yeah let's yeah. see the blacks, and then we'll put a little cyan in the highlights and a little bit of like yellow in the in the low low end, and then and then and then clean up the mids, right? Like right, that was right. like my go-to thing, right? Love it. Like like three-dimensional color, rounded. Right. shaped not you know but with like uh you know decent color saturation and like a breath of color but but with uh joker i was like we have to make a lot that i can use for the whole movie and treat it like i'm shooting film so let's do whatever you can like let's reverse engineer a, a stock like 5293 which i think actually came out in 86 but like was of the like it was the best stock ever made, frankly, and I think most wow. cinematographers would say it was like the favorite stock forever. It was just gorgeous. It was the first thing I ever shot, first feature I ever shot was on fifty two ninety three, um, and so it was like the greatest stock. And I said, let's just try to look at all the stuff we've tested on film, which was the stairs. Right. We went down to Chinatown. A lot of locations in Joker, we actually took a film camera. And an Aerial Alexa and like tested side by oh, each wow. okay. and had actual data. So we had the, the you know, the street lights that were there right. and we had like that low angle shot of him walking up those stairs. Right. I shot probably six times in prep with different cameras. Right. So by the time we shot it for real with Joaquin, it was like we had done this a thousand right. times. Him coming up the stairs on the long lens, same exact thing. That's how we discovered those two shots wow. was like during prep. And then I said to Jill, let's take all that data we have, like all the sort of like uh, like film stuff that we've already ingested, and now let's take the Alexa and like make them match in all the ways and then reverse engineer out a LUT that you can deliver to me, and that's the only LUT I'll use on the movie. Love it. And we had one little tweak that we did. We had like the hardest thing, like anything with digital, right, is that full breadth of color, right? Like 
film still beats the shit out of every elect every digital camera on full color depth, right? Like uh, an old sodium vapor never quite rendered mm-hmm. itself there. Right, 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 right. Little things like that. But then it was like, okay, Jill, can you reverse engineer and build the LUT that has as many of those qualities as possible so that when we just put the LUT on, that sodium vapor looks sodium right. vapor, that's that cool white fluorescent looks cool white, all those elements are there. And then the, she delivered me basically two LUTs. One had a little more color depth and a little more saturation, and one was like a little less. And for the first two or three days of, daily, of dailies, we went through with my dailies colors to company three. Um, we went through and, and, and basically uh, would play right. like two or three shots on both LUTs until we sort of narrowed in on the on the LUT that we that wow. was the rest of the movie. And then that was it. The whole movie, I would just put the LUT on when we started the day, light to the LUT, light the scene, and that was it. Every scene, day, night, interior, exterior, all of that. How often are you switching? Are you messing around with like the white balance in camera? Or is it like, you know? A lot. A lot? I do that a lot, actually. I do. That's one of the sort of cool things I think about uh, the Alexa and, and other digital cameras that you can't do in film is like absolutely i'll i'll literally on the set sometimes even with todd standing next to me like the opening social worker scene or something i'll set it up at 3200 and instead of like messing around with color you know on the resolve right. that nick has in front of him we'll like sometimes just go let me see it at 3600 kelvin yeah let me see it at 4500 kelvin yeah. you know blah yeah. blah blah and just play with that just to see if it gives a little bit of like an uncorrected daylight feel that we would do on film right yes. where we would just shoot without an 85 shoot with an 81 ef but but rarely usually it's like let's just shoot without an 85 and get a little more blue in all the daylight work so similar kind of idea yeah i love it um so with the director, you're involved pretty early on, right? But with the colorist, like, I mean, is it something that, you know, for, for Joker, you did all this, but for, let's say, for something like War Dogs or, you know, something you've done in the past, like, are, are colorists coming in pretty early on and you're connecting with them? Or is this sort of like, I'm going to do my thing and then when it gets into post and finishing, that's when we're going to sit down and... I, I think more and more colorists have become a big part of prep for me because I'll just try to get some material shot somewhere through prep and toss it out to them. And so I'd say in the last four or five years, I try to bring them in as early as possible. That is awesome. You know, truly, truly like during prep, it used to be, of course, I remember back in the day, even before I met Jill, I was such a huge proponent for the DI. I had gone through like for all the people out there, that are that are young enough to like not know what the old method was the old method was wonderful and i've seen results that you can it's just amazing right like uh you know and 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 you know uh you would basically have a hazeltine printing light timing system right which was basically three sets of lights zero to fifty Red, green, blue, right? It was just printer lights or whatever, yeah. Just printer lights. And yeah. you would literally shoot a film and put the printer lights at 32 red and 38 blue, you know, you know, green. And then, you know, and, and that combination of those three printer lights was every sort of color of the rainbow, right? And it was an amazing skill to, to be a Hazeltine timer, right? And, and 
there are some amazing Hazeltine timers that are now colorists, but not as many, right? There are a lot of colorists that came up through the music video world back with the Bosch and all the early, you know, rank Cinetel and all those things like the early, uh, uh, scanners and stuff like that. That would that was like the beginning of the '90s and 2000s, where right. where we started really seeing colors become such a big part of the equation. But when 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 you start to now see real time color correction, all the things that that Telecine gave you, right? The idea was like, whoa, why is this not part of now the final product in right. the film world? Right. And and I became crazy, like crazy over like. To the point that I want, I was like fighting to shoot three perf because if you shot three perf, you not only got 14 minutes of mag, but you would shoot less film theoretically. So maybe if we shot a million feet of film, it meant that now we could only shoot 700,000 and I could take the cost of 300,000 feet of film that you would save and apply it to this new thing called the digital intermediate. Yeah. And so I was like trying to negotiate with producers of how we could afford a DI and then obviously, I remember like a thing was like I was negotiating like crazy on this movie called Dan in Real Life. So that's 15 years ago, 2005, it's, right? It's that long ago? That's insane. Well, I only know that because my son, I think, was like eight months old. And so everything is like based on the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the like when my children were right. born. And and I remember the whole point going, can we do a DI? We shot 35, of course, and all that. Um and they're like, no, no, we can't afford a DI. Blah, blah, blah. You know, back then, maybe it was $180,000, $200,000 to do a DI. Like, we can't afford it. We can't afford it. We can't afford it. And like, all right, fair enough, even though we shot three perf and all these things. And I said, and then by the time I remember we got to the DI, because of course we ended up by the time the movie was finished doing a DI. And, uh, and I remember talking to somebody at the studio and they're like, oh, no, no, no. First of all, a DI is not even part of the regular budget of the film. It's part of post-production. And it's actually something now universal or whatever we shot that movie. Right. We now require. And I thought, oh, great. That's the tipping point. Yes. Now it was going to be like if you didn't want to do a, do a DI like Nolan or something, you would have to fight for it. Now exactly. it became like a DI is now part of the, of the deliverables. And then I was like, great, because look at the amount of control. And that really changed film right. color. If you look at like the beginning of the DI to now, that's probably one of the most important technological changes in filmmaking. More so than digital, it's the DI and in the way that films look and and show up on screen. No, totally. I feel like even just the birth of it, like 2000 to 2008 or something, you watch those movies and, you know, and that's not a hit to anyone that worked on it because we were developing a brand new system. But you look at those movies compared to even like the other day when we were talking about you watch Apocalypse Now, you watch Vertigo and you're like, man, like they were doing this back in 70s or 80s. Like, so why did we go back? And now like we're on the other side. I feel like the 2000 to 2008 ish was kind of like we're experimenting. This is something brand new. And you watch some of those movies and you're like, oh, I liked it better when it was just shot on film. But now, like when I watch Joker, when I watch these new movies that really push color grading and you see it and you're like, OK, like even Dr. Sleep, you watch these movies and you're like, OK, I can tell that now that's a whole another level, you know? Yeah, and, and, and I actually have such great respect for how amazing, like you talk about Apocalypse Now or Vertigo or those kind of things, it's like how amazing both a Hazeltine timer is and 
how unbelievable just pure raw yes hazeltine time movies can be so it's more about like the frustrating thing about the hazeltine timing was you would watch a print and you'd be like oh wait 10 10 points magenta and it was now already 10 seconds back and you so you're like calling out changes as you watch it now in a way right it's also the bane of the yeah, of the yeah. existence of the di is <laughs> now your your palette is unlimited right, right? and Jill knows this more than anyone. It's like it's it can be, and any director suffers from this. Right. It can be like now, oh Jesus, too many choices, right? Like all of filmmaking is about limitations, right? And you need limitations. Like right. the things that we didn't have at our disposal, the things we had to fight for, the things that we couldn't afford on Joker made Joker the movie that it is, yes. right? It's yes. like 100%. if it had unlimited choices, unlimited budget, no nothing in our way to stop us. It, it, those are the things that you want, right? Is sometimes a DI can be a fucking mind. It, 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 and it's something Jill and I talk about all the time, right? It's like, right. because you can do anything, right. you can do everything. You, you, you can sometimes just get yourself completely turned around in there. And oh. the beauty of like the old style was it was, it was like simple. And the, the one example I'll give about that is I remember back in the day we'd shoot film I would run into the lab at five in the morning before call and I would watch dailies come up from the day before because I was always anxious and nervous and I wanted to see the printer lights and I wanted to see it up on the big screen just to make sure there were no issues. And that was actually one of the most fun things. You'd be you, Mike Zachariah from Technicolor, it would just be the two of us in a a projection booth watching dailies come up and it was magical, right? And I remember I'd come in and invariably somebody would be screening their dailies before mine. And the two best dailies I've ever seen, bar none, I've ever seen in my life, in the lab, dailies, not color corrected, you know, one light yeah. color correction, Road to Perdition. Wow. That's know, Conrad, Conrad Hall. Hall. Yeah. <clears throat> Those dailies, I sat there mesmerized like they were finals. But the best ever and this guy mad props to this guy he should have kept shooting no he's a good director now but wally fister wow and this is like if you talk to any dp this is madness what this dude did right is he would shoot a whole you talk about shooting a whole movie with one lot that's not meaning one exposure right, right, right he right, kind of right. did this crazy thing where he'd shoot his entire movies one printer light to no to people that don't understand that it's like basically saying you put this light on and I'm going to expose everything perfectly so that if you watch it, it's going to look like the final, which means like not only is his exposure dead on, but all his lighting is like within a very small window yeah. so that that one printer light shows him everything. And I watched Inception dailies come up and there were like four or five scenes of dailies. And it was like the final, like final picture, print it, <laughs> put it in the theater. And I was like, this is one printer light. And to that, I always say Wally Pfister is like the greatest. He's the goat just for that one printer light thing, oh, if that is in fact true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what the hell? Like, he's just not shooting anymore? Like, or is he shooting no, and directing? No, he moved on to directing. No, no, and I think he shoots and directs commercials, and he's been directing TV yeah. and other things like that. No, he's he's got a great life. I got no, no nothing for that. But but as a shooter, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was one of the craziest things I've ever, I've ever heard. And I witnessed it. I watched his dailies one day wow. and I was like jealous beyond anything. Let me ask you this. When you're on set, are you, do you love to cam op or do you have like, you know, go to cam ops and then you're kind of sitting in the back making sure everything is done right? 
Wait, do I? Uh, I, I literally, I'm sorry, guys. I got distracted. Sometimes I just look at these little comments and I'm like, maybe I, all I want to do is answer each one of these. Things. I know. I, I, I'm like, I'm terrible at it. Like, I'm like, Chris Doyle, awesome, yeah. crazy dude. I met him at Camera Image. He's great. I'm just reading people's things. Do it. Do Somebody it. said Storaro. Storaro is, I love color, as people know by watching right. my movies. He's the greatest. Conformist. Even that Wonder Wheel I just put oh up on God. Shot Deck. We just broke down Wonder Wheel, which is like a Woody Allen, Storaro recent movie. It's fucking amazing color. It it's great. Uh, somebody else, I don't know. I saw a bunch of these things. Sorry. It, repeat your question, Kaz. I, 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 sorry. I got distracted by this No, this I said format. that. Do you, do you love to be the camera operator on set? Or yes. do you have like a cam op most of the time? I do have camera operators that are amazing. And as they will know... I'm the worst person to camera operators because I constantly want to operate. <laughs> and on like and 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 some are are awesome with it and they all have to sort of know that at some point I'm going to jump on the camera, right. maybe do a take, maybe do five takes. Sometimes it's just a way for me to connect right. closer to the lighting and all that. And it's it's also the most fun part of the job. It's the the part of the job that you're most sort of connected in yes. the moment to the scene and you're focused and you're you're kind of maybe able to make small little changes. So like with both War Dogs and Joker, it was very similar. It was like Jeff knows Jeff Haley, my A operator on War Dogs, and I mean on uh, both those movies, is the best in the business, bar none. And no, no, I mean I've worked with amazing guys. Chris McGuire is amazing, and you know all kinds of other people that are awesome. But Jeff is like is is my goat personally, and so he knows that I'm going to be on another camera. So like we make, we have a great now relationship where it's like, okay, I'll take B camera. And sometimes B camera could be like the A camera shot and right. A camera could be the B camera shot. It's like, we just work kind of around what's important in the moment. Um, so yeah, I love operating, but, but you know, so sometimes I'll do it at the DIT tent on a remote head, like a talent head, which I have. Right. So that I can watch both cameras at the same time. I and then be annoying as shit. I'll have HMEs on. And as you can tell from this interview, I talk a lot. So uh -huh. I'll sometimes be directing uh, my dolly grip, talking to my assistant, while also maybe telling Jeff, like, I'm coming in and watch me. I'm coming on your left. So watch my map box. Like, so there's like a lot of whispering yeah, yeah, yeah. me far away. So I get as far away as possible so I don't annoy the actors. I love it. Um, there's a funny thing about that. Which is everyone knows the Shane Hurlbit, like, yes. uh, uh, like Christian, Christian Bale. Bale thing, right? Right. This is not long after that. I was doing that movie Due Date with Robert Downey Jr., and we were like, we I, with Todd. It's always like whatever you start the day, you might end the day doing something totally different. Like, okay, we've got an hour. Let's go shoot something just that we just made up. Right. And and we got on a camera car real late in the day with like the idea of let's just go shoot a story that wasn't in the script. Right. Zach Galifianakis and Robert Downey Jr. And we're cross shooting from the back seat, and we're like underneath, outside the windows. Uh, me and Tommy Loman, who was the operator on that movie, and we're like cross shooting, and it starts fucking pouring. And so we're underneath thing, and like water is going down the back of your pants, and it's like it could not have been any more annoying. And literally, it's like whatever it was during the take, I start saying something and I'm, I have headphones and all this stuff, and it's probably pretty loud. And Robert Downey Jr. just goes, Larry, I'm going to fucking Christian Bale.
you right now if you don't yes. shut the fuck up. Yes. And I was like, all right, all right, got it. Oh, my God. Because I'm like, I'm going, get that fucking tarp behind or whatever I'm yeah, yelling yeah, yeah, just because yeah. I'm like literally getting soaked and the camera's getting wet and it's like, and, and you know, anyway. So. And you got so lucky you weren't yeah. on Christian Bale's set. God. <laughs> I totally get why it happened. I, wanna... I think every cameraman knows. I think that what happened was Shane, and he's a great guy, I know him. He probably was something weird happening, and he probably peeked around the corner to see, did I miss the light go off? Yeah. Did something move? It, it happens to every DP right. ever, and he probably just got in the eye line and shot you know, fireworks. Came. I don't know. Yeah, John Connor just went rogue. It's a legendary story. I want it's it's such a legendary story. I wanna I wanna go through some of the frames. I try to keep these lives as like so it's podcastable, if that's a word, you know. So I don't want to bring in sure. images or anything like that, but I still have to because this is from War Dogs. And I wanna by the way, you know, I pulled all of these from Shot Deck, so that's that. This is amazing. Like I have a bunch of images, but like I was just throwing them in there and then I just downloaded it and brought them in. Yeah. So we can just look through them and talk about it a little bit. But the thing that I love about you, and I feel like more and more I learn about you, I'm just like, okay, I I love this dude. Like it's it's just so amazing because you have to first of all, you have to be sold to go this far. I mean, that's far, right? I mean, this is like push. Yeah. Like we were talking about traffic and we were talking about those movies. Like this is far. And first of all, like you have to be sold on it that I want to go that far. As a cinematographer, a lot of the times people are just going to be like, no, Kazi, can you go back? You pushed it too far, dude. Like in reality, we were looking at these colors and that colors. Can you bring this back and that back? I'm like, come on, man. I'm trying to make like magic. Like we're trying to create something here. So here, that's what's happening. And then even when you and I were talking earlier and you said with Todd uh, on Joker, you had to kind of sell him on that. Like, hey, keep pushing. Let's keep pushing it to get to that film look that we want, like where it's just unapologetic, like those colors just pop and everything, which in digital, you know, things kind of just live in the middle. So when you're doing this, like, are you selling this that, hey, this is what it's going to look like? Are you playing a part in that? Is Jill or whoever grading it just brings this to you and you just go, okay, I love it. Like, print it. Like, this is great. Let's move on with this. Yeah, it's interesting. War Dogs is a special a special um, situation because, so back when Jill was at Technicolor, there was another guy who was critical to, like, my early days, Hangover, uh, due date all of it right his name's mark station and he was the dailies color colors the technicolor and then he he went off and he it was a lot of it was like you know there's so many conversations that i would have about workflow and pipeline and all these things and i'm a big resolve guy right love it i don't know how to use it and i, I should really just like I'll, take your master class yeah, but like do that and i'll come like, over <laughs> but yeah but the problem is it's like so resolve is not only like so this goes back a little right to which is so you would have aces and you'd have all these other things and people would say okay well we're going to color dailies in basically rgb so it replicates film and it can be translated back to film and all these things and that was like the way we colored during the early days of digital dailies and and all these things and and i remember early on going well wait a second why are we why do we why are we basically taking all of this power that we're going to have in the DI but limiting it on the daily side and this was like a frustration of mine for probably 6 7 years and 
And I remember thinking, well, why can't we color dailies and resolve and then track them all the way to the end? And truthfully, nobody had engineered that pipeline until wow. like company three did it a little bit. And now other people are doing it, of course. But it was just a tricky thing of like old world and new world coalescing. And Mark Sation had a good idea, which we had sort of like talked about forever, which is like the resolve is something that's accessible now to all of us. Right. The technology of basically having a high-powered ability to color dailies in your house finally became a reality, whereas it was like $250,000 minimum about it, back right. in the day. So he basically, out of a Sprinter van, created a, a mobile daily station in which he could yeah. color, and he colored like uh, war dogs that way. So we brought him as like our dailies colorist, right? And even though we finished with Jill, here was like my first time where like Mark and I were like, okay, let's do this resolve thing. And he made me like download resolve and I put it on my computer. Yeah. And then a lot of this early stuff with the color was like me and Mark when, with me in Romania, which is where we started shooting. Yeah. And so this was like a shot in Romania that was like night for, it was like dusk for, for, well, some of it, this might be more day this shot, but right. like, but we were just so that was a little bit of the, the problem of giving color over to a DP right. with that much control. Yeah, 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 is it's like me sitting in Romania in my hotel taking dailies like and fishing them back and forth between me and Marxation <laughs> and just like going hardcore and then so showing much. it to Todd and going hardcore and then pulling it back at the end with Jill and maybe not going so hardcore, but. There's a lot of that movie that is a little bit like a little crazy in part because me and Mark were kind of like pushing each other. And Mark has like a really uh, a good style himself. And, you know, once you the problem is dailies become the movie, good or bad. Right. And, and in the right. sense of like you want to make sure. Sorry, the planes are coming in again. Okay. You want to make sure the dailies are good because the truth is I've yet to meet, meet a director and maybe I'm sure there are some, but it's very rare that can throw everything out and start over in the DI. Right. Is like you live with something for six months. Right. It's the movie. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, and that goes back to like Garden State. I remember there's a shot in Garden State. You can find it probably. You know, this is not a plug for Shot Deck. I'm saying you yeah, can yeah, find yeah. the shot on Shot Deck. If I was on Shot Deck, I'd show you the shot. It's like they, they, they walk into before they go into this hallway to like watch this peep show inside like between the halls of a hotel right okay we shot that without an 85 filter because they were coming from the outdoors inside and i remember i think i had a note to like color it back halfway yeah. in the in the timing but the colors never saw the note so it came back full blue right right it just never changed and i remember when we went to finish the movie in hazeltine i was like well zach man that's supposed to be like yeah, yeah, color yeah. corrected back <laughs> he's like no man i love it because he had lived with it for six months right oh wow. so i totally get it and so that's a perfect yes. example of happens every movie so right. if you don't get the dailies right that is the movie and so and so like with mark and i we really pushed a lot of things and mark you know did the dailies in this sprinter van for the whole movie wow. and so and that was like a, a new pipeline of like because I wanted to start resolve and end in resolve, it's like, well, then we can just do it all ourselves, you know? That and, blows uh, my mind. I and mean, that's the beauty of what you can do now with like the technology. Right. I mean, you're just having so much fun with it. You can see it like even yeah, here, yeah, yeah. it's so much fun. And, and the reason why I tell people, you know, 
use tools like shot deck or reference images. I'm really big on, you know, build your looks like recreations of your favorite movies like vertigo. Like I will watch it for costume design. If I'm a director, I will start there and then I'll get into the color grading aspect of it to really dial that look. I'm such a huge fan of it, but I'm just saying like, I'm so big on look recreations because I feel like, you know, we're as creatives, we're always inspired. We're always like bringing in, like creating a jambalaya of like, I like this from Fincher and I like this from like Tarantino. And it's like, you know, then I create something of my own and it just, you know, this, like looking at stuff like this, one would never think to do something like that when you shoot something on S-Log2 when it's so flat that when you just dial in the Rec 709 and everything, you're just like, oh man, I already pushed it too far. Like, I don't know what else to do. You get what I'm saying? So to have something like this gives you that permission to be like, oh, I loved it when I saw it in theater and it looked amazing. And this is what it looked like. There was that much green in the sky. Oh, okay, let's try it. And then you try it and you're like, this is amazing. Like now I'm actually creating a grade, a look, you know? And that's why I just, I have so much respect for you that I just see this kind of stuff and I'm like, then we have the traditional teal and orange, which is so great, this is perfect. Then we got this, which I love even more. Like once again, you just go there and you just live there, you know? Well, I remember that day, right? Cause that was just a cool location, right? It's in the yeah. valley and it's an old like uh, shooting range, you know? And uh, his mark is sitting literally just outside the walls to the left in his sprinter van. And he's just like, at lunch, we're showing it to Todd, and Todd's like, "That's fucking crazy. It's too green." <laughs> Whatever it is, it's like. And then we pull it back a little. Then we do a normal one, and Todd's like, "Yo, that's too normal." Yeah, so it's yeah. like, and then, and then I think this is why it's also annoying to Todd because he's like, "I don't want to be thinking about all this color shit while we're making the movie." And it's truthfully why he loves film because he's like, "Let me deal with that another time." Like yes. right now, I got to concentrate on the scene, and I I totally understand that big time. Um, but it's like in truth. It's the reason why Shot Deck exists is I just, through my entire process of making movies, either I was thinking of something of another movie or, or some other reference, it was just having the ability to communicate through stills some idea, right? Whether you're like using it as a leaping off point and then diverging from it, right. but you like one element of it, you're like trying to replicate that sky, you're trying to show a VFX artist, like, oh, that's the kind of blue that we're gonna create when it's like a complete CG shot, right. or it's just like, yo, how green should we go here? Is it, is, are we looking for like traffic blue? Right. Or are we looking for like, you know, that whole half of the hate you give blue? You know right, what I mean? Right, like, right. you know how half that, that movie's blue and half that movie's orange? Exactly. It's like that kind of stuff. It's like, let's just find a reference point so we can talk about it because if we go in with nothing, then the DI can be like the most like terrifying experience in a lot of ways because no, it's it's just so easy right because you look at like if i just go hey give me the terminator blue like then i just narrow it down to give me that blue you know that like primary like solid blue compared to like give me joker blue you know which would that's be right. something in this world you know that's like that's what's happening today but even if you watch the dark knight those blues are very close to the terminator blue you know, they're kind of going with that. So I feel like yeah. it makes the communication pipelines. It's just so much easier than to just, you know, get the thoughts out. And people need to understand that because I get so much heat about it sometimes that people are just like, hey, what about creating original palettes? And I'm like, ultimately, you will end up with an original palette. 
but you know, like you have to. A hundred percent. Well, that's the thing about like creating an original movie. Every single movie is in some way influenced by all the art that's come before it. Right. Like we are storytelling by its nature is a sort of a fluid, like process that is constantly sort of drawing from its previous owners. Right. I mean, I'm a huge, huge Quentin Tarantino fan as a filmmaker. I think his movies, like, there's no movie that I felt as excited, like when the movie, when I was watching it and when it was over, than Pulp Fiction. I remember whatever, 1995 or whenever it was, watching that movie and feeling like exuberant over how original it was. But then you can see all the videos of like all of his references. Well, I didn't know those references, so the movie is still wildly original to me. And it is a wildly original because he's sort of using all of his influences that have come before him to create this new thing, right? Right. That still makes it a a piece of original film. So, you know, I I always feel like I don't, I I can look at all the references that are in my decks, let's say, when I was prepping shot, you know, uh, Joker, right? On shot deck. And there's not one image that looks like Joker. Right. But they all influence Joker. Yeah, exactly. Right? And so that's a perfect example. I think, I think let's just get into it because with somebody like yourself, I can have a conversation for 12 hours straight. We're going to get booted in seven minutes. I do want to jump into Shot what? Deck. Uh, seven minutes? It gives us like one hour. It sucks. I mean, I think we can go again. But I want you to now kind of just dive in and, and tell me why. Like, you already kind of gave us the why behind Shot Deck. But explain a little bit more. And I think the most the, the craziest statement that you just made is that you use Shot Deck for Joker. So that in its own right tells you the, the how legitimate this tool is and what it can do. Wait, I'm going to spend one minute and then we're going to answer some of these questions because Shot Deck, I created it simply as a, as a place to find reference materials for research, right? So you're looking for something to like as a reference or a research thing for the project you're working on. For inspiration, sometimes I just go on to just get inspired for something I'm future working on uh, and also to study and learn from. But the main thing is it's a, it's a collaborative tool of a database of images that from which you can draw, uh, you know, uh, uh, all the things you need to like prepare for your next project, whether it be a pitch deck or whether it just be for your own personal prep of a movie, finding like inspiration for different scenes or locations that you have in the, in the project. Uh, but it's 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 also fairly self-explanatory. There's a couple of videos and stuff. Kaz did a great video that you can watch that's really good. But I wanna, if we only have that much time, I wanna answer some of these questions. And first of all, props to somebody. I was looking down and somebody said, yo, stop looking down, look up at him and listen. And you're right. So props to whoever wrote that. It was probably my wife. Just tell and me who not, that is and that person that is, is getting blocked. No, it was great. No, I'm saying props. I want that, that person pointed it out. No, that's perfect. I'm, I'm giving props to them because they were right. Like I should be, but I, but I'm, I'm reading all these things peripherally and I want to answer some of their questions. Go for it. Go for it. I got to be I have a- not, by the way, I've not used the Trinity. I'm just going to answer the couple questions because now I feel like we have limited time. Yeah. I've not used the Trinity, but I want to, and I might on my next movie, uh, that I, I, I've just seen it in displays and stuff at, uh, at like a uh, camera image and obviously 1917. So I haven't used that. Somebody said, did I go to film school? No, I studied a couple film classes, but I was an economics major, liberal arts, undergraduate only. My film school was actually making a movie that I made with that friend, Scott Wiper, who uh, I went to film school. Who, he went, he was 
studying film, but I went to school with and, and we made a movie together. All right, what other questions we got? Do you want to talk about? I mean, I could read them now. I feel like I passed through a bunch of. Do it. Do it. I did not go to film school. How important is it? Well, oh, they're going by so fast. I feel really this is like a time crunch. A hey, creator first or tech first? That's a great question. Creator first. You don't have to be that technical. I thought Lighthouse was amazing. Jaron's a really. He's a really uh, full frame. What's that? Or crop sensor? Well, that depends on what you're shooting. We cropped a sense. We cropped a sensor on joker because we shot 185 so we didn't use that full two two one two two to one image uh i'm just answering whatever is that would you recommend going to film school sure i also think if you can get out there in the field and just start working you'll learn a lot as well i think you can learn a lot my film school was like reading american cinematographer yes. and going out with the camera and shooting stuff and like i think eventually you're gonna have to get out and learn on your own and shoot but i think film schools as proven by like maddie libatique and a bunch of other people they're a great opportunity to meet future filmmakers that you're going to work with forever. So, right. um, you know, that, that kind of thing. It's a very expensive club to make connections. Eureka moment from small to big movie. It's a series of Eureka moments. I mean, the biggest movie was like my, was Dukes of Hazard, which was like a $50 million studio movie. And it was just about managing a machine that's much bigger than let's say garden state or something like that. But at the end of the day, a $180 million movie is exactly the same as a $1 million movie. At the end of the day, you're just making one scene at a time. It's actually not intimidating when you think about it in those terms. Hmm. Learning from the internet or set experience. I think you can definitely learn a crap load from the internet, but you got to go and do it. Because until you do it and the pressure's on and you have limited time, resources, you're not really going. It's like, you could be the greatest colorist in the world at home, yes. but until you have somebody breathing over your back and going, yes. change this and change this and, and getting frustrated, like, right. the, you're going to have to deal with like, what happens when you're, when you're like, when, when the frustration level rises and right. like, you're not delivering on something that they're looking for, right. that's going to be where you learn the most 100. when you get paid right. and when you can get fired. You can't fire yourself at home. <laughs> exactly. So fear is a great motivator. Yeah, I still sometimes will, like I had printer lights for Joker when we were going to shoot film so I could figure out where I was at on certain things. Area Panavision, both. Have you ever shot in Atlanta many, many times? Four or five years in a row. Simple, to, oh shit, Advantage of Area Raw in Da Vinci. You know, I'm going to take well, it, I'm going to take it up as a challenge and I'm going to do a tutorial where I grade only using printer lights. Oh, that's fun. I know, that, I know like at Deluxe, that uh, on some systems and stuff, I remember when I think I did The Big Year or some other movie that I did, that it was like, well, let's just do it like printer lights. But honestly, I liked doing it like in the sort of raw, like uh, yeah. resolve, like let's right. just do it like as if right. Photoshop, I call yeah, it. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly, yeah. Like let's just have all the tools, you know? Right. No, I mean, that... there are tools, there are tools in Lightroom, there are tools in photos, there are tools on Instagram that I wish were like simple tools that you could do in Resolve. You do have those tools now. Yeah, but yeah. I remember back in the day, it would right. be like, why? I would always say to Jill, why don't we have a button that just makes it look like Super 8 in the Resolve? Because yes, I got exactly. it on my camera on right. an app that's pretty damn good. Or, or Resolve didn't even have temp and tint, you know? like Right. So you were or like, like just controlling highlights, right? Like that's yes. a standard thing of like, just grab the highlights and let's deaden them or something right. or just bring them into balance or, or same thing on the blacks or like, 
like some basic things that like you see commonplace across the internet and apps are like some of the greatest like tools that are that you know right. you know you think like, these are nothing and you can have it. all right wait, wait i do want to take a moment to thank you so much you are like you got so much going on you took the time to be here it is amazing and um just like everything that we talked about i feel like there's so many value bombs this will go on my igtv so people can watch it uh, but yeah. guys go check out larry's page it's lawrence sure dp one word right your instagram it is yes lawrence sure dp that's my insta but also i thank you i'm a fan i remember watching just recently the the blade runner look and i went that's awesome and i like what you did and i reached out to you and i said hey man what can i do something because you've been giving me props on on stuff and so i was like let's do something you said let's do this and it's my first instagram live this so is you amazing i'm, I'm you honored virgin me i'm honored thank yeah, you yeah. so much i wish i could i wish i could go for another 20 30 minutes just to answer all these questions because I, uh, I mean we that's, can... that's really what i like to do let's keep well, maybe going. we'll keep doing it until yes. until they kick us off until yes. zuckerberg gets a hold of this shit shuts us down <laughs> yeah uh so shut us down if i start talking politics no, that's won't. what that's the surest way <laughs> oh yeah people are doing that great I want to know who told me not to look down because I really did mean props because thank you for that. I appreciate that. <laughs> Just You learned so much today. Somebody asked that, uh, was Joker influenced a little bit by Taxi Driver? I mean, of course, it, it was influenced in so much as, <laughs> as like, uh, it's a character study, deep dive into the psyche of a human being. And of course, I did like bring some pictures into my folders and look at them, but only in so much as I, from the first time I saw that movie, I appreciated that it was out in the streets and it had all that mixed color, right? So like yeah. you would have uncorrected fluorescence in the diner and all those like great color mixes of the sodium vapors and and like the warm whites and the cool whites and all those things. So in that regard, it's influence, you know, it has some 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 play into what the Joker look is for sure. And of course, it's like, for my money, top two, top three movies of Scorsese ever. And I rewatched it for the first time after I made Joker, a year after. I hadn't watched it during the making of Joker. And it was, oh my God, if you haven't watched it again, watch it because it, holds it up. is, it's his masterpiece, man. Wow. It's his masterpiece. I, I, I'm going to say it's his best movie ever made and just stand by it. It really wow. is. It is. It is. Because it's tight. It's his. It's like he's trying everything. Yeah. And the thing I'll say this about why I think it's the best is he did things in that movie that then became a Scorsese thing. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, yeah. weird. Like, but when it when he did it on that, it wasn't Mean Streets because that didn't have it. Right. He was trying it on Taxi Driver, and then it became his thing. Became that then you know, as filmmakers, sometimes you have to like do the thing that the audience wants. Yes. It's like, exactly. It's, it's like playing the hits. Right. Right. Yeah. Right is when he made Taxi Driver, he hadn't discovered what those hits were. And, in, yeah. and when he made that, it was like the rawest, most experimental version of himself. I agree. Yeah, with that's you. awesome. I feel like, I mean, my, one of my favorite movies from him is like The Departed only because it can just be on for nine hours in the background. And anytime I'm going to sit down, or I'm going to catch a scene, I'm going to end up watching the whole movie. It just, it, it's so tight and it's so long, but it just goes like you just cannot stop. Everything is just it's like a jigsaw puzzle, how he stacked it up. I just, yeah, personally love it. Yeah.
That's amazing that he can still do it at such a high level. Yes. Not not that he can because his brain's obviously all there, but like just that you have the stamina and the energy yes. to go like movie a year for like 35, 40 years. You know what I mean? No, it's, it's not crazy. Real. All right. I'm How did you get noticed as a DP in the industry? To some extent, it's like the work begets work. And so some of it is a little out of your control because it's going to be perhaps about a movie that gets seen. So I think Garden State helped do that for me. Kissing Jessica Stein maybe before that. But I think, unfortunately, you can do a lot of work, but it's like it's maybe one thing that just puts a little bit more of a spotlight on you to other people, and then it gives you other opportunities. So, so it's a hard thing because you don't have as much control over that. That's so, going to be like outside forces. So I mean, but I'm, just keep making good stuff. I'm thinking like after you got nominated for the Oscar uh, for Joker, yeah. I mean, you still can't get fiber at your house. Like, I mean, what good is it? <laughs> I know. I swear to God, man. Like, I think like <laughs> as a bonus, like, you know, I didn't get any extra money. So as a bonus, they should just fiber my house now that AT&T and Warner Brothers are merged. Like, you, can you just run it right to my doorstep, please? Let me tell you this. If you do want to go that route, I did make a call and I asked at one place like where I didn't have fiber. They were like, we'll do it for you. It's going to be $2,500 a month with a three-year contract. Uh, if Warner's pays for it, I would love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so one of the questions that we have here that I just read was, uh, do you, like, if there's one that you have to pick, I know it, it, it's kind of a difficult one to answer for a cinematographer, but lighting or composition? Like, or... But for me, probably composition. But, but that's just because I don't consider lighting my forte. Um, that's there one, are so many other people that are better. This is one of the better. most beautiful composition ever this is so good that was fun that i was just a like a very skeleton crew we went out there after at the end of a day after shooting just with like eight people and one two sticks of dolly track yeah oh my god okay this specific shot i can have yes, it. that's jeff haley i can have this as my screensaver just until i'm i'm gone <laughs> until i'm dead like this that was a great scene i mean that was like you know, we're running two cameras simultaneously. So Jeff is basically in his normal sort of cradled handheld position on that side of the of the um, uh, the hospital bed. I'm on the left hand side. So if you watch that scene, everything that's shot sort of wide and to the left is B camera and Jeff shooting simultaneously just off my right hand side of my camera frame. So very perfect example of how we shoot two cameras, not from the same position, but we often cross cover them or shoot them so that we can use both as, as like, as, as opposed to like A and B cameras next to each other, one bigger, you know, one, one closer and one wider. We rarely ever do that. Oh, that's so interesting. It's always about like, what can we do with the B camera that is actually like another piece of coverage and not just some other size? So that's a great question. I had another question that somebody had asked in my story, which was how often is, you know, Lawrence changing his lighting setup for going from white to tight? So that kind of answered it, right? Like not that much, like you're kind of prepped for that. Yeah. Like basically I light the space so that we don't have to do a lot of lighting within the scene. So rarely do I bring any lights into the set. Try not to try to like light for a master, shoot the master. So like, obviously on a master, both Jeff and I, let's say on the Joker are going to stay wide enough to like not photograph each other. But hopefully, you know, two completely different sizes of space or at least, you know, 50, 60 degrees away from each other at the minimum. 
And then we just kind of march in and clean it up with a couple different lenses and positions based on what we see in the master. So while we're shooting the master, I'm watching and thinking, oh, this next angle would really cover this nicely. And it's already in good light. And Jeff could go here. So the minute the master is done, we swap lenses and just go, okay, let's go here and here and just keep shooting. So the time between setups is really as, as long as it takes to change the lens. Man. Um, and then just like motor through it. So we, you know, sometimes there's a lot of conversation and just like easing into the day. So it might take a couple hours to get the first shot. Right. But once we start shooting, we go and we shoot very quickly. And even in this specific scene, I think I was watching your interview with Variety or some somewhere where you talked about like this one's, you know, lit with a similar intention where, you know, the yes. ca camera op is there and, you know, you just move around freely. Like. That's right. And it was really single camera, except when I went into the bathroom stall, which if you haven't seen that Kevin James thing he does where he plays the sound man, I did watch it because it's the funniest thing it's ever. Amazing. And the B camera or the, the, the camera I was on only the only other piece of coverage in that scene besides Jeff doing the sort of like full 360 following uh, him around, which is really what the scene is. It's from the stall that Kevin James is in. Uh, that's the only other angle we did was like that open stall and shot there in a way that was also simultaneous. So Jeff could keep shooting, but otherwise it's really just a great example of Jeff and, and Joaquin sort of dancing together. So yeah, that was really fun. That's unreal. I do want to talk about this because this is one of the cleanest, like white look that there is like, and, and I tried to replicate a little bit of it too, like this shot specifically, and I was having the hardest time. So how much of it is like the, the, the color temperature in camera to Jill coming in to your lighting setup? Like what's happening here? Not a lot. You know, it's like, this is a mirror, mirror set, right? Like if you actually took like a bird's eye view of the stage, this is like mirrored. So if you go out the wall, the, the door that's behind Joaquin, right? Yeah. If you went through that door, there's a hallway. If you went through that hallway five feet away, there's another door. That's the social worker scene. So those two things are like mirrors of each other oh, wow. in the sense of the same size, that window's the same size. It's meant to replicate like the social worker, but in another world. Um, and really, it's like we have a softbox above it that's like an open square in the ceiling of about 10, 12 feet. And we have a couple lights hitting the little yeah. uh, metallic table. But really, it's those two fluorescents and then that little softbox along with two harder lights that are hitting the table. And that's all the lighting that's in the scene through all the coverage and everything. If, if, you know, like that table's doing a lot. And, and this, B, this is B camera at the same time. And uh, that, that close-up, which is on the... Oh, this one. The 350, yeah, that which is one of my favorite shots in the movie, that 350 at minimum focus at a T4 and two-thirds or so. Uh, yeah, and really, it's like basically white, except you can see the cyan, which to me is always an example of the difference between film and digital, right? It's like there isn't... Jill was always the person that would tell me this. Like, Jill, we would always talk about this from the going back to our first movies together. She's like, there's no clean white in film. And she's right. There's nothing as there's no true clean white in yes. film. You can create a clean white in the DI, but film is inherently has some cyan in the highlights. Yes. And so that was part of building the LUT was putting some of that cyan in the highlights. So there was never really like what would be called a totally clean white, you know, right. like you can see just the white that's behind my shoulder, right. how blue 
and different it looks yes. in re you know when you relate right yes exactly yeah and even magenta because there's so much green in that shot but if we put something you know everything's relative to like what's in yes. there right right no i absolutely love mellowing it. man you said may i ask something sure go for it mellowing man <laughs> i'm not supposed to look down but i did go come for it mellowing man come on dude now's your shot i know you got one shot. Somebody asked, like, what do you think of Deacons? I mean, he's he is without question the best that ever was and ever is. He's so great. And and he's doing better work every year than he ever did. I mean, it's really amazing. I, I find and I've met him. The process of the Oscars, the best thing about it was meeting some people I hadn't met before. That so I'd amazing. never met Roger. I got a chance to to meet him. I got a chance to have dinner with him one night with him and his lovely wife. Um have you gone James on their and have you gone on I've their gone podcast? I've listened to their, I've been listening to their podcast no I'm not on it but I've been listening to it it's great but he's the best I mean if you look at if you look at a, a site like shot deck again not pitching it and just like look at how many images are like the most clicked or like it's like most popular his, yeah, yeah, yeah his images are just like amazing amazing it's like he never ceases to impress me but what's really crazy is that like i always feel like just looking at his stuff is almost it gives you a feeling of like it's so effortless like that's always the word that comes to mind anytime i look I at know. his work i'm like 1917 is so effortless like when people ask me to do that look i'm like but what is there to do because it's just so effortless but then i know when i start creating it i find out like just like how when i did blade runner i'm like holy like okay there's all these things that build it but it's the the combination between mitch paulson and him like it just oh i know but his he's the best person to look at to recognize that simple is is uh timeless right like his photography style his lighting style is so consistently simple and mind you simple is always is never simple but right. whether it's like a book light like yes. the, the bounce light that he does the single source light that he does it's timeless, right? It never looks out of style and it's, it always looks great. And, and, and he's a great example of somebody who never overcooks it. You know what I yes, mean? Yes, exactly. No. And that's that thing you say is effortless. Somebody asked, <coughs> uh, why should we keep film alive? Well, we should keep film alive because it still works magically well. Like, I mean, I just watched that show. Uh, I know this much is true. I'm a big fan of Succession, uh, Westworld. Like a big influence on Joker was the movie, um, uh, uh, the the Yorgos movie, the the Killing Sacred Deer, Killing of a Sacred Deer. That was shot on film. There are so many times lately, not just movies that are obviously shot on film from 30 years ago, but recently when I see something that just engages my senses, and it's something that's been shot on film. So, Keep it alive as another pal, another thing to make movies. So we should love. I was talking to Jill, like when I we did a live, she was saying that it was up until, you know, now that it, we're getting to a point where people are kind of, it's not dying down, but, you know, there's not so much of like, make it look like film, make it look like film, make it yeah, look like yeah, film. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. And I think that is, that's huge. Like, I mean, that just speaks volume to like where we are today with, you know, DI and where we're headed. 
Well, like think about her, right? Her doesn't look like any film, and I love her. Yeah, you know the Hoyt Hoyt movie that like the the Spike oh Jones one. It's like it's awesome, right? That doesn't look like film. It looks right. like its own thing, and yeah. it's gorgeous. And in a large part, you see the the commercial world as leading the charge of like, no, let's not make it look like film. And some of it was accidental, right? Like you think about one of the downsides of shooting digital is like, we lost a lot of the dailies colorists input into the movie. Right. right. And so when you shot commercials, you had to go through dailies because that's how you, you got film into a digital format. Right. Like it couldn't go raw to the, to the editor. Right. Well now with like transcoding on set and even sometimes like you'll get stuff delivered. That's like effectively log and the editor will just put a rec 709 on it or whatever it is. And you realize, Oh, that almost became the modern commercial look, right. which was like opened up blacks a little yeah. bit like, like lower contrast. And it became so commonplace that now, like you just see that as a look of, and I feel like her was to some extent yes. because spike shoots so many commercials yeah. Like a reflection of that new style. It's like a know? fragrance spot, but like exactly like in a movie. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Just this Vogue look and like that's the film. Yeah. Yes, 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 exactly. No, I love that. I love that aspect of it. All right, if you're tired, just uh, we can call it. Let's call I'm it. not tired. I'm like reading some of these things. If you're tired, you sound tired. <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, uh who Wait, hold on. My my all my projects don't start till August, so I got time. Okay, so how That's many That's why movies... I'm just I'm 100% shot deck. How many movies a year are you do you usually do? And are you do you do oh, commercials? One, if I do one movie a year, I'm happy. If I do I do some commercials, not as much as I'd like. If uh, I'd like to do more, um I rarely will do more than one movie in a year sometimes, but uh if I do a movie, uh I try to just take some time off and do some of the other stuff I like to do. Yeah. Opin opinion on Lubeski, I mean, Tree of Life is as influential a movie. I thought the movie was mesmerizing. I mean, what? He's the only person ever to win three Oscars in a row. Jesus, what is That's that not about? The goat. I mean, you can make a strong argument. He's he's and and he's uh I mean, his where his work has has influenced me. It's like again, it's like Deacons. It's a yes. simple thing, right? It's very simple. And by the way, he's also he's also changed in a way that I feel like is really amazing. Like you go back and look at Great Expectations, which was also Coron. Did he do like Children the, of Men? Of course, yeah. But like you think about uh, the heavy backlighting and the yes. sort of you know. Go look at Reality Bites, right? Like Ben Stiller, I had the, the pleasure of working with Ben Stiller on some reshoots of Walter Mitty, and he's a great filmmaker. Ben Stiller picked Emmanuel Lubezki to shoot Reality Bites long before Emmanuel Lubezki was like common common name in the, in the wow. business. He knew from the get that that dude was amazingly talented. And Reality Bites is a cool looking movie when you go back and watch it. I'm going to put it on Shot Deck. I bought the Blu-ray. I'm going to get it up there soon. But oh, yes. But because I wanted to say, like, well, look at Lubeski's arc, but you look at, you know, Great Expectations and um, The Little uh, Princess, right? Was that, no, what was it called? It was like, uh, was it The Little Princess? And it was like early studio stuff that he did, right? Yeah. And then you look at his transition from Itumama Tambien, yeah. and then into, obviously, like, the, the more modern stuff like Revenant and Birdman and all that. I mean, you know, think about it. If you're shooting now on a wide lens, in that sort of long take stylistic thing, that's a that's in large part because Lubeski led yes. the charge to get there. So he's he's had wild influence on on all of filmmaking. I had to make a list. 
the academy is like, oh, we're going to do this list of movies that are influential and just start screening them. And they said, you could make a list of three to three to five movies. And I just quickly filled it out. And the three movies I put in there was The Conformist, Storaro, Amazing, um, uh, Children of Men, right? Yes. Which is Lubeski. And it was like so influential. And then, wait, what was the third one? I'm forgetting now which what I put third. I mean, I would have put it in Joker. It could, it could have been. You're too nice. No, it could have been. It could have been uh, Road to Perdition, maybe. Because so I think good. like every single frame of that movie is just unbelievable. Yeah, that is. Amazing. Apocalypse Now could have been in there. Apocalypse Now could have been in there. Whoever wrote that, Mellowing Man. Wait, <laughs> Mellowing Man's back. Did he ever ask his question? He just never asks his questions. I think he just ends his statement with a question at the end. <laughs> maybe his question is, is, is Apocalypse Now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm just reading any of this. All right. Oh, Indian movies. I'm trying to get more on Shot Deck. I haven't seen enough. My wife is a Patel, so I'm trying to like. Come on, you're missing a huge market. Bollywood is Tell huge. Tell me about it. I'm not. I know I'm missing it. Like, it's just like there's only so many time, hours in the day, but I'm trying. I'm working on. Oh it. no! Anytime I go home to see my family, my parents, and they have like you know Indian movies playing in the background, like I'm always rolling my eyes. I'm like, oh man, this stuff is so cheesy. Next thing you know, three hours go by, and I watch the whole thing. It's just so amazing no and 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 i've had two people on instagram one guy is helping to put a movie or two on shot deck from india and they've sent me lists of indian films and filmmakers and i'm like i love it and i'm putting it i have like a master list of all the movies that i want to get up on shot deck next and it's like 1500 2000 movies and growing i've even got my 14 year old son working on compiling this list yes how and, much is he getting and, paid I, I minimum wage, but still, it's not bad. <laughs> no, but but in my in my house, minimum wage is fifteen dollars an hour because oh I'm a God. liberal. Jeez. I'm a liberal, and we it's a it's a living wage, man. We should all that should be the base for everybody. But the uh, I was making seven bucks like in, I know, in college. But you know what? You gotta you can't have to have three jobs. That's 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 illegal. <laughs> you should be able to have one job and then have the life. But the uh, but the. Uh, but yeah, I'm making a huge list of Indian films that I want to get up on Shot Decks for sure. No, and, it's such. And, a, I think it. It's those are the things that are just gonna make Shot Deck like just a one stop shop because I feel like Indian movies. The thing that you gotta understand is that one, they are shot on Alexas and you know Reds. Yeah. Like you know they just go all out. But then with their looks and the way their costumes are and everything, it's just so poppy and colorful and you throw a little bit of like transformers or the teal orange that they've been doing lately. Like they look really, yeah, really cool. Well, and also the whole thing, the thing that I, I really want the site to become is truly a place for discovery. Right. So, so the idea that you could go on looking for some shot of Blade Runner, but discover some shot from some Indian film or some film from Southeast oh Asia or yes. wherever that you've never even heard of, but you're engaged or you're like, you're drawn by an image. And then that, maybe leads you down a rabbit hole of discovering that filmmaker or that DP or that designer or whoever. So that's a big part of what we're trying to do with what we're adding, but also like with like even more keywording for like, like keywords that relate to movies. So you can search for Indian films and find all these films, or you can search for LGBTQ or you can search right. for female directors or, or, or the black experience or whatever it might be right. that will just be like a bunch of subject and, and keywords that, that, that are much more robustly genre related than right. like, just like thriller and drama and comedy. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And then like just building the, the, 
stacking your keywords and filters is something that I just really love. And usually for certain websites, those things are there, but they don't really function. But with Shot Deck, I noticed that it actually like works where you just oh, cool. keep stacking a couple of different things. This director, like find me Fincher. Now find me like his, you know, film shot on film, like not, you know, yeah, digital. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then you Compare. keep building that up and you're like, yes. Yeah, for yeah. sure. No, I get excited about all the things we're trying to do. That's for sure. Why 65 on Joker? Well, I, I love, I've always loved the idea of the fact that you could shoot with more field of view, right? So you can have the field of view of a wide lens in the same way as you do with anamorphic, right? But on a more medium lens format, which has a shallower depth of field, right? So you're not just like compressing the image and taking away the environment by going longer lens with like shallower depth of field. But now you have the benefit of like feeling the world around, right? So you can see windows and you can see the environment of a small space but you're able to shoot on a lens that provides some, some, some separation. So I always say it's like the 65 millimeter large format look is like, it's like um, spherical 3D. It's like you're getting almost like a separation effect and this three-dimensional effect on screen because of the depth of field or lack thereof. So that's what I like about it. But I mean, does that have anything to do with your experience with photography? And did you ever shoot on like medium format? And you I had a Mamiya, like when I was into photography, I bought a Mamiya and I shot some large format stuff just experimentally for myself, medium format, really. Yeah. But not, not more than just that, not just messing around. All right. So let's, let's yeah. answer this. Are you going to, when is your masterclass coming out? Cause I saw that I'm signing yeah. up. I don't, what does that mean? Like a masterclass on the, the masterclass website or like you like way you do a masterclass where it's like, you just do it on your own. The way I do it Either. because I, I'm, I'm a businessman. I'm not, I, I cut out the middleman, you know, I don't want to have a middleman. I already have like, um, what, what is it? PayPal and Stripe. Those are my middleman. They get a little bit of the cut and then they're yeah. like, it's just, by the way, I, I no offense to all the people watching this that are middlemen, but some offense because <laughs> only thing I want my son to do is do something where he's not a middleman. Cause I'm like, wait a second. And by the way, the, our, our economy works on middlemen, but I'm like, I'm a little anti that's, that's uh, only because I'm like, either you make something or you, you know, it's like, or your service or you do something, but like, can we just cut out more of the middlemen in this, and women in this world? That's what I'm saying. I mean, there's websites where they're selling your courses for <laughs> like, there's websites where they're selling your courses for like $10 and then the middleman is taking 60%. I'm like, dude, what is going on? Right. right. So, so you should do one because uh, on the, on the actual masterclass, I, I did the Aaron Sorkin course. Like he has a masterclass and it was so good. Like Scorsese's is really good too, but like Aaron was just like, he just goes in. Like it was so freaking good. So you should look into it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I got to get shot deck off the ground first. Yeah. So one thing at that's time. my, that's yeah, that's, that's enough for me for now. Uh, why do you think the 35 million? Yeah, I love Call Me By Your Name. I thought that was cool. I think it's an example of limitations and placing them on yourselves. The fact that, that all of Call Me By Your Name was shot on one lens. Same mm. with, uh, yeah. with um, uh, what's it called? The, the Polanski movie with Jack Nicholson. Why is it coming? You know, the famous uh, Chinatown. Yep. Also shot on one lens. 
I think it's great. It's a great idea. I thought about it on a movie, and then I thought about it on Joker at one point. I thought, oh, that would be cool. Maybe we just shoot the whole movie on one lens, and we, we went away for it. Yeah. But I think it's a cool experiment, and, and Call Me By Your Name is one of my favorite movies of the last 10 years. So, so it, it I thought worked. It, was, it was beautiful, yeah. All right, so what do you what do you think about this? Oh, wait, which do you prefer on set? Light meter or false color? Light meter. Light meter. I don't use false color that much. No? Rarely, rarely. I couldn't even explain it to you if you explain. I mean, I know what it is, of right. course. And I know I was talking to Ed Lockman, who's trying to improve the idea of false color. I'm not, hopefully I'm not giving something away, but he's creating something that I think is like, and Ed Lockman is a, also a master. He's been a, I've been a fan of his from, I mean, as far as you can go, it's like the guy is just, is just exquisite. Yeah. Uh, but like, I think that idea of like using a false color type, thing to like narrow you in i think is is a really effective tool but i think it's sort of like lutz it's probably something i just haven't right. drawn I'm, I'm so like stuck in my ways of like bringing out a meter and i still i still have a meter on set i don't maybe use it as much in digital but i still use it sometimes red or alexa alexa but i'm gonna test a new red camera soon so maybe i'll change my mind I mean, I'm I'm sort of like you in a sense that, you know, I, I stick with, I don't get too much into the RCM and Resolve, like, you know, the Resolve's own color management and like, you know, change the color space and use color space transform on every single shot. Like I try to keep it as simple and basic as possible and then go from there, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> There's so many good questions here. Komodo, that's the one I'm going to test. You're right. Stephen Paul. Did you did you ever do you ever try um, like the camera? I like that they called it Komodo. Yes, because they had a dragon already. That's a pretty good name. Oh, yeah. Did you and Joaquin really fight on set? No, we didn't. That was all fake. We were trying to do a. That was Joaquin's idea. He said at the beginning of the day when we got to work, he said, "Hey, why don't we do a little Christian Bale thing where I blow up at you and we get in a huge fight?" And I was like, "I'm not a good actor, so I'm gonna fuck it up." So let's not do that. And then he just did it anyway. And that's why you don't hear me saying much because <laughs> I was laughing and trying not to laugh to give it away. And I thought I would ruin the, the, yeah. the joke. Uh, but most people, it went over their heads even on set and they just thought he was like really pissed off at me and it was awkward. Jeez. And then I thought it would never be seen again until he, he decided to show it on Kimmel. That's and amazing. then my mom was calling and very upset just cussing him out just cussing him no, out just saying like oh my god everyone's gonna think you were like rude to him and i was like it was all fake uh so oh, the yeah, other so. way around like if it was my mom she would be like joaquin this and joaquin that <laughs> like she would just Are you kidding me somebody on twitter literally said how dare you disrespect joaquin phoenix like that and i was like it's fake it's fake it's fake <laughs> and I, I i tweeted back at her because i'm like it's fake and she goes that's just your word. How do we know it's fake? And I'm oh. literally like, I was like, all right, I can't win this argument. No, no, you'll so never I'm win not, any just argument stop. with the keyboard ninjas. Will you do an Indian film? I would love to. I think that would be like, cool. I still got to get to India first. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I've never been. But that's like in large part because just time. You know, but I'd like to go and, you know, maybe teach or something. But we mean, get out of this whole COVID thing. Well, I was just going to say, will you think this will ever end? Yeah, it'll end. It'll end. 
I think it's like everything. We'll just become, we'll make adjustments to our lives that will probably stick for a little while, if not for a long time. And we're just, we, we were very, I, I thought that the interesting thing about this whole COVID thing to go off, off topic yeah, for a second is, and I think in large part, it's also one of the reasons why it's like one of the best things was I felt like in the first two or three weeks of it, we showed our best humanity, which was like, we showed a, the ability to one, be really flexible and adaptable. But also I felt like we were really looking out for each other and feeling this sense of, of, uh, of like common humanity across the whole world that we're all dealing with this together. And I thought that was like beautiful. And in fact, the first four weeks of it, I thought it, it was wonderful. And then I think it's exposed particularly here in America, some of our worst attributes, which is impatience, mm -hmm. individualism mm -hmm. as cloud, you know, like using individualism yeah. as like a, as like, uh, you know, this, this idea that like, I'm not going to wear a mask because right. I'm free. And you're like, yeah, well, yeah. how about wearing a mask? Cause you're not a dick. Yeah, exactly. And like, you care about other people. Like <laughs> right. it's not it, like, you know what I mean? It's, it's it could so, be your so, own family. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then I think it's also in large part, like, it's allowed us also to unify behind things like Black Lives Matter, which I'm a big part, of, a big fan of, like just 100. the, of like putting a spotlight on this incredible brutality that's been happening, and and the fact that now we're or at home, and so we have the ability to pay attention. I think if yes. without COVID, we go back to our same lives of being right. like just like you know busy and all the bullshit that allows us just to like see something and then yes. two days later go, oh right, that thing happened with Michael Brown and that thing happened with Eric Garner. Right now, right. it's like we are forced to like not be distracted. And I think that's a good thing. Yes. Um, and maybe it'll cause some real change. Yeah. It's like a serendipity. You know? I think, I think every, the one other thing I think they should do is every year now we should have a month long lockdown. Right. And the lockdown allows a couple of things to happen. Right. It allows us to like be forced to spend time with our families. Cause sometimes we end up using that. work and other things yeah. as an excuse. Yeah. Yeah. The environment gets like a little chill from not everyone driving around all the time for a month, right? Oh, so yeah. it's like a little bit of a clean. Right. We get to like do the shit that we never have time for, like yes, spring exactly. cleaning, right? Or maybe like you know just uh, chilling, right? And having some mental health breaks, uh, and then some people will have to work because then you could do infrastructure shit that no right. you can never do because yes. you can't close down things and you see it now like people are painting buildings and working right. on the roads and all these things. Yeah, finally so it's fix like, the roads in LA. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, so like. And then all the people that are essential workers for that, they get a month off in which they get to do whatever the fuck they want, full pay. Uh, this is like, that's my that's my ticket if I was running for president. A, a month-long quarantine every year. Why don't you? I mean, with that, if you run with that, you're becoming the president. I mean, it's not, you don't even have a Nobody wants to be locked down, but I'm like, do it. Because for the first month, I felt like there was a little attitude. As long as like... I'm losing you. Straight up from the beginning, yo, six weeks please don't leave your house. Like we don't have to put, we don't have to put people on the street to maintain it. Just don't do it. Don't leave your house. We would have shut this thing down in its tracks, but right. also, and then just said, and don't worry, you're all going to get full pay, whatever you're working on. Right. And then it would have cost less like by trillions. I know that because right. you can't, you're spending just more to do it for 15, 20 weeks or whatever we're going to do it for. Right. But also, uh, like you would have this mental state of like, all right, six weeks. Yeah. I'm going to clean my house. I'm going to just spend yes. time with my kids. I'm going to do whatever it is that is like right. contained. 
and uh, and and then like, everything would just be a little. I don't know. It's a big step because you know everyone's sort of working off of a lot of unknowns. But somebody already said Larry twenty twenty. So I mean, it's already happening. I feel like you should run with it. It's not going to happen. I got too many skeletons, man. <laughs> I'll never run for anything. <laughs> Oh, man, that's insane. But <laughs> I, I I couldn't agree more. We try really hard to do like a, a electronic blackout like once a week. My wife, my wife's idea. So like we're not on our phones because like I'm on social media, like Julian is always like, you know, texting like, you know, teenagers are. So it's like she's like one day electronic blackout. We play board games or we work on a puzzle or something. Well, like, Sunday, Sunday blackouts to start. Yeah. And I'm not saying I do this, but it's a great right. idea. Right. I think everybody needs to do that. Yep. Like a one day a week blackout. No, it needs to happen, if man. If not longer, no, all of it. Yeah. it. It has to because or else your life becomes like we always like joke with each other and we say like the life is like Citizen Kane. I mean, if you remember like how they go yes. from like a twin bed to like a full size yeah, yeah, bed yeah, like, yeah, yeah. so like we always laugh about it when we moved to california we had nothing so we were like borrowing a little mattress and it's on the floor and then it moves on to this and that and then it's like now our schedules are flipped so that's right she's waking up and i'm going to sleep and i'm like the life like we're like living in the citizen king i know, I know. <laughs> well and you know it's that thing particularly with like now being mostly at home and working is there's no beginning or end of the workday. It's just 24-7. And then yeah. it becomes, and, and I'm the worst person for this, trust me. And and so I'm not practicing what I'm preaching, but I recognize that it's essential. And so I'm trying to do better, but or just trying to cut it off. But I, I need a lot of help pointing that out to me by my wife and others. So same. I mean, so we- I like when I like when something's forced upon you. We're right. like, all right, you're you're quarantined and the internet's shut off. Yeah. You're yeah. like I mean, listen, trust me, like the Internet's also been a savior for mental health with like Netflix and other things. But like so maybe it's like you just get some things, but you can't do other things. So you're forced to like just take a fucking break from all of it. Yeah, 100. Like my I I need to like change the password for Facebook for my mom because she just gets hung up on so much fake news because she's one of those people that shares everything. So she's just like, oh, COVID is fake. And then next day she's like, COVID is deadly. And she's like just freaked out and calling us and telling us to stay home and do this and do that. And I'm like, mom, just get off it. Or I'm going to, I know your password. I'll change it. You know, (laughs) it's crazy. All right, let's go five more minutes. I want to see some of these questions. All right, let's do it. I wish I lived in the 50s, no internet. Yeah. Maybe we just had, we do time travel. By the way, I was—I had a dream last night. It's the weirdest dream. Not weird. It's not that weird and salacious. It's just—it was a dream about me talking with George Clooney about why he chooses certain projects, and then I was thinking about the sim, like the the way filmmakers are obsessed over certain subject things, mm-hmm. right? Like you think about like Syriana. what happened. Yeah, but like why George Clooney? But then you think about like the similarities in like subject matter between filmmakers. And then I was like, what happened to the Nolans, you know, Chris and Jonathan, that they're obsessed with time? Everything is about time outside of the Dark Knight movies. Yes. Like from Memento to Tenet to like Interstellar and Inception, Inception, even Dunkirk is a movie about time. Yes, yes, yes. It's like, and Westworld. 
I'm like, what what happened when they were four and five years old that made them obsessed with this idea of time? But I love it because it's so consistent to his filmmaking, right. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this idea of like what, like, you know, like malleable time or whatever he's obsessed with. So I don't know why that was in my head over sleep. <laughs> that is insane, though. And that is so true. Think about it. Yeah. What else we got here? All right. We're winding down. We're clicking yep. down on the... Yep. On the thing. This was fun though, cause I appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Okay, so sh uh, do you? Somebody asked. I just saw a question that does Lawrence use shot list? Like, does he create like a old school shot yes. list, or is it a yes. shot, like a modern old version, school. the shot deck version of it? Old old school shot list. Okay. So I'll write it out. Shot list. I'll I'll usually write it in editorial order, as if like I'm seeing the finished product, the finished uh, like uh, right. scene on screen, and then I'll then look at that and then reinterpolate it into shots, and then I'll draw an overhead schematic of where the angles are. And again, sometimes I do this as a matter of practice during prep, just to sort of figure out what the intent of the scene should be, and stylistically, and whether it's handheld or long lens or whatever. And sometimes that shows up and is, has an effect on the scene. Sometimes it just gets thrown away. But during prep, I'm a big shot list fan. Not a big storyboard fan, but a big shot list fan for sure. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Like seriously. Thank you, Kaz. Appreciate just, it, man. You're the coolest dude. I mean, this is amazing. I, I don't. Uh, I, nobody <laughs> would agree with you except for you. <laughs> uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> anyway, thank you to everyone who came on and and. Uh, and please vote in, in 2000, in 2020, this November, please just vote. I'm not going to tell you to vote for, but you probably could guess who I'm voting for is Biden. Oh, I told you. Uh, but just, uh, just vote, please. That makes please. two of us. Yep. That's it. Just vote. Uh, we need, we need, it's embarrassing. The worst thing about, the best thing about Australia is they, they mandate that you vote. So you get, I think, fined if you don't vote. Yeah. I think that's what America should be. You should have to vote. It should be your not just the right you should have to vote yeah, and everybody should, should have honest. the freedom to vote by mail for a fucking on a sunday what's this tuesday bullshit yeah just let's just vote man if you should let the chips fall where they may whoever wins wins but yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. have 50 million people not vote in this right country. right it's crazy yeah no i couldn't agree more that's a good message to leave on there it is all right cool all right thank you so much peace Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to sticking around. We still have 229 concurrent people, so love each and every one of you. You guys make this platform, make this culture, so you know I'm genuinely just in debt to each and every one of you. On that note, this was amazing. He is the most down-to-earth human being I've ever met. I mean, it's crazy. Like, I wanted to be respectful of his time, and he's like, let's just chat. Like, what time? So... Just got so much more respect for him. And for that reason, I'm just going to set Joker on the loop, like in the back in my next videos when you just saw we do live or something. It's just going to be running in the back because this is how I show respect. Thank you, Jill, for sticking around. Thank you, Gabi. Thank you, uh, Kenneth. Like everybody that showed up, love each and every one of you. Until next time. And hopefully since we went past one hour mark, uh, Instagram is going to let us upload this as a IGTV. Um, if not, then I'm going to figure something out. But until then, peace. As if you enjoyed this episode, share it with friends, subscribe to this channel, and I will see you in the next episode.